it's not a good method of biblical interpretation to insert ourselves into any and every story in the Bible, assigning ourselves the place of the main character. For example, there is the classic David and Goliath example in which so many people read that story as if they are David and the difficulties in their lives are represented by Goliath. And then the moral of the story becomes, with God, you can overcome your troubles. With God, you can overcome your difficulties. You might not have many resources on your, at your disposal, you know, maybe just a sling and a few stones, but with God. Right? As Matt Chandler so eloquently put it, you are not David. That's a bad way to read that story. It's not about how you can overcome your difficulties. Rather, David and Goliath is about how God provides a rescuer, how an appointed servant of God who has been anointed to become a king over God's people comes and does for God's people what they could not do for themselves and rescues them from that which they could not overcome themselves because of their weakness and their unfaithfulness. It's about a savior king. David, in its most immediate context, and Christ Jesus, in terms of its foreshadowing and its typology. That being said, there are some stories in which we may rightly insert ourselves and see a pretty direct one-to-one -one comparison between ourselves and a character in the story. The passage before us today is such a case in John 13, 36, to 38, we do find a character who we can very readily identify with. You see, Peter was confident in his own faithfulness and strength. And we can all relate to that, I think. At least most of us can. Haven't you at least, at, at least at some stage in the past, perhaps you have matured well beyond this now, but perhaps, at least at some stage in the past, probably, I think, all of us in this room have felt like we can faithfully follow Christ in spite of anything and everything that comes our way. Perhaps it was during a worship service when you, you really felt the presence of God there among God's people. And you felt such a pure devotion to Christ that you felt, I am never going to sin again. I am going to walk out of here a new man. A changed man. Things are not going to be the same. And you felt like, I can do this. Haven't you listened to a sermon about being an overcomer? We are more than conquerors. Haven't you felt like, yes, that's me. We sing sometimes, though none go with me. Still, I will follow. No turning back. No turning back. Though a firm and resolute desire to follow Christ is commendable. And though perseverance, grounded in confidence in God's enabling grace, is a good and a right thing, many times we find ourselves making a very subtle but insidious mistake and leaning into our own strength as we endeavor to follow Jesus faithfully. You see, there is a big difference between singing on the one hand, no turning back, 
no turning back, because you believe that you are strong and faithful. You are a man of God. You are a woman of God. You are a son or a daughter of the king. You are more than a conqueror. You are an overcomer. There's a difference between, between singing no turning back, no turning back on those grounds or singing no turning back, no turning back because you are trusting in the promise of Jesus that he will lose none of those whom the Father has given to him and that he who began a good work in you will carry it through to completion and therefore no turning back. No turning back. By God's grace, he, have, he who has promised is faithful. And He will not let me fall away. And so I will put one foot in front of the other, looking to God's grace all the while for the strength. Outwardly, you're singing the same words either way, aren't you? Whenever we sing that, we sing that even at CRBC. It's a good song. No turning back, no turning back. Though none go with me, still I will follow. It's a good song. But there's a world of difference between what's going on in your heart on the one hand, what's going on in your heart on the other hand. And I would suggest that probably every time we sing it, some of us are like, boy, I'm so weak. How am I going to do this? Oh, Lord, give me strength. And some of us are like, yep, that's right. <laughs> and even from, week to, even from week to week, it might vary. As we have seasons in our lives, don't we? Sometimes we perceive our weakness, but sometimes we feel pretty strong. And sometimes we, we're really leaning into God's grace, and sometimes we're like, yeah, I can do this. I got this. So outwardly, we're all doing the same thing, but sometimes our hearts are doing one thing, and sometimes our hearts are doing the other thing, even as we sing the same words. Haven't most of us if not all of us, at some point, felt absolutely resolved to follow Christ, come hell or high water, and truly believed that we could do it. You say to yourself, I have reached a place in my Christian life where I am no longer an infant in Christ. I'm no longer a babe in Christ, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 3 and verse 1. I am now a man in Christ, or a full-grown woman in Christ. And I am ready and willing and able to live a consecrated life unto the Lord. Perhaps you feel like that this morning. If so, learn, this, learn the lesson of this morning's sermon well, which will become clearer as we go on. Let's move from that first point, though, that Peter was confident in his own faithfulness and strength, and we can relate to that. And let's observe next that Jesus was not confident in Peter's faithfulness and strength. Will you lay down your life for me? Jesus asks. And it's not really a question that Jesus doesn't know the answer to, which is evident from what follows immediately on the heels of that question. Jesus, without even waiting for an answer, says, truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow until you have denied me three times. So instead of being a question that Jesus doesn't know the answer to, it's really a rhetorical question intended to make a statement. And the sense of it is this. Will you really lay down your life for me, Peter? Be realistic. You are not as faithful and strong as you think. 
Jesus was not confident in Peter's faithfulness and strength. And listen here. Jesus is not confident in your faithfulness and strength either. The sins you will commit throughout the remainder of this day, the sins you will commit throughout this coming week, and the sins you will commit throughout the remainder of your life are known to Jesus. He's not waiting to see what will happen tomorrow. He doesn't have to wake up and read Monday's edition of Nation News to find out what's happening in Barbados that day. He has declared the end from the beginning. And from ancient times, things not yet done. Isaiah 46 and verse 10. Which means that your weakness and unfaithfulness is more apparent to Jesus than it is to you. Jesus didn't save you because you had so much potential. Jesus didn't save you because he saw what an asset you would be to his kingdom. Again, you are not David. There's only one hero in the biblical storyline. And the rest of us are the soldiers waiting for someone to come and rescue us from the giant. You are the Israelite army cowering before a Goliath that you, not, you cannot overcome. The sin within you is a Goliath from which you need to be rescued. The penalty of hell, which you justly deserve for your sin, is a Goliath from which you need to be rescued. Jesus knew that Peter could not, in his own strength, do what ought to have been done that night. And likewise, Jesus knows that you cannot, in your own strength, do what ought to be done. And isn't this a terrifying thought? Like a young dating couple who dress in their nicest clothes and conduct themselves in the most polite manner possible on their best behavior so that their significant other will see their best side and decide that they are a suitable mate. We often try to put our best foot forward with respect to our relationship with God. We try to hide our sins and highlight our perceived strengths so that God will love us. Isn't it terrifying to think that He knows the worst about us? Like a young lover who would be mortified if her significant other smelled her bad breath or flatulence or saw how untidily she typically kept her apartment. We shrink back from the idea that God knows already the full extent of our sinfulness. There is no honeymoon phase where God gets to know us and finally realizes what has been true all along. God knows, though we shrink back from this idea, God knows 
the full extent of our sinfulness. And like the young lover, we wonder, if he sees me at my worst, will he still love me? And this is the good news of today's passage for us. Jesus loved Peter anyway. Jesus knew that in his hour of need, Peter would desert him. Jesus knew that when he most wanted a friend, Peter would disown him. And yet Jesus loved him anyway. This is clear from what transpires later and what is taught us in the other Gospels. In Luke 22 and verse 32, recounting the same incident as we have before us today in John's Gospel, Jesus reassures Peter at the same time as he predicts his denial, I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, Strengthen your brothers. And of course, we know that Peter did indeed turn again. And that Peter did indeed strengthen his brothers. He experiences reconciliation to Christ in John chapter 21. And becomes a pillar of the church. Note the following two things. First, Jesus says, When you have turned again, Strengthen your brothers. Which indicates that all the while, Peter is a brother. An adopted son of God, along with the rest of the disciples of Jesus. The greatest wickedness of our hearts, our minds, our words, and our actions cannot separate us from the love of God that is ours in Christ Jesus. When God makes you a son, the son remains in the household forever. The fatherhood of God is certain and sure once those adoption papers have been signed, so to speak. Peter acted as a wicked son, a prodigal son, if you will. But he was always a son through it all. Second, though Jesus knew Peter would betray him, Jesus prayed for Peter. And not in precatory prayers. For example, Psalm 510, which says, Make them bear their guilt, O God. Let them fall by their own counsels. Because of the abundance of their transgressions, cast them out. For they have rebelled against you. Jesus could have justly prayed a prayer like that concerning Peter. There would have been no injustice in petitioning his father in that manner with respect to Peter. What greater transgression can you commit, after all, than to deny Christ in his hour of need? But Jesus didn't pray imprecatory prayers concerning Peter. Instead, he interceded for him. 
that his faith may not fail. Struggling Christian who has come to see that he has no strength or she has no strength. Or prideful Christian who overestimates your own strength. Hear ye, hear ye. The ground of the Christian's sonship is the mercy of God in Christ in spite of your sinfulness. And the ground of the Christian's perseverance is the mercy of God in Christ in spite of your ongoing sin. You were not a good catch in God's eyes, so to speak. God didn't marry up when He made you the bride of Christ. You are not an asset to His net worth, so to speak. It has always been grace. Always. It was grace in the beginning. It still is grace here where we are in the middle. And it will be grace all the way to the end. Grace has brought me safe thus far. Grace will lead me home. God knew your sinfulness, the full extent of it, and yet loved you with an everlasting love. And sent His Son, gave His only begotten Son for you, knowing full well your sinfulness, Christian. And God saw that though atonement had been made, you were dead in your trespasses and sins, blinded by the God of this world, and could not believe unto eternal life unless He intervened. And so you were drawn with cords of kindness unto faith in Christ Jesus. And you are held fast in the everlasting arms as Jesus Christ, our great and merciful High Priest, continuously intercedes for you, that your faith may not fail. All of this is grace. Tim Keller once said, we are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe. Yet at the same time, we are more loved and accepted in Christ Jesus than we ever dared hope. The Christian life is a process of realizing the truth of this statement. You come over time to see your own wickedness and your own faithfulness more clearly. Did I say wickedness and faithfulness? I meant to say you come to see your own wickedness and unfaithfulness more clearly over time. Sometimes you feel like you're less sanctified now than when you first started out. But it's like a man who goes to the gym with one of his friends who has spent more time in the gym than him realizes his weakness as a full-grown man more so than when he was eight and thought he was the Incredible Hulk 
He's actually stronger now than he was when he was eight. But when he was eight, he thought he was as strong as could be. And now as a man, he sees his weakness more clearly, even though he's stronger than he was all those years ago. Something like this is what happens in the Christian life with respect to our awareness of our sin. God is working on us. God is helping us to grow in sanctification. We are making progress towards conformity to Christ. But we see more and more clearly as time goes on just how far short we fall from it. Kevin DeYoung tells the story of when he was in seminary. And I think he was in a phase like we talked about earlier in today's message where he felt strong. And it, him and his friends, who were also seminary students, felt strong. They felt like, you know, here we are, preparing for the ministry. We're soldiers in God's army. You know, we're here, we're here in boot camp. We're mighty men of God. And one day they were talking in their dormitory, just saying, you know, we, we know that the Bible teaches that there is remaining corruption and that we don't achieve entire sanctification in our lives. Boy, we must be close. <laughs> you know, how much, how much more could there be? You know, as we, as we have consecrated ourselves unto the Lord's work. And here we are, devotedly studying the Word of God. And just, you know, and he, he, laughs, he laughs and jokes about it now and, and admits fully. It was, it was woefully ignorant. There was so much hubris. But there they were. Young men thinking, well, basically we've arrived. As time goes on, you come to realize Kevin DeYoung is holier now than he was when he was in seminary. But he sees more of his sin now than he did when he was in seminary. This is, this is how it goes. Even for me, I've been in a process of this realization over the last couple of years. I think one of the things the Lord has been doing personally in my life is just showing me my weakness. And just, just removing even, I think, some measure of sustaining grace that has been, had been operative in my life previously. Adding on to me more responsibility and uh, difficult situations while at the same time withdrawing some of my capacity from me such that I've felt very weak at times over the last couple of years especially. And like DeYoung, I can look back now even not long ago, five years ago, where I used to hear people say, well, when I am weak, then I am strong, as Paul says in Corinthians. You know, and obviously I can't dispute it because it's in the Bible, but it, I just never understood it. What does that mean? You know? Right? My grace is sufficient for you. Well, yeah, I understand. You know, it's all by grace. You know, but like, just go out there and do what you have to do. Just go, just go do stuff. Why not? Why are, why are, you, why are you moping around? Like, just go, go do what you have to do. God's grace is there to help you. Go do it. Even, even young men stumble and fall. Well, yeah, some young men stumble and fall. 
To him who has no might, he increases strength. Well, again, I can't argue with that. It's in Isaiah chapter 40. But what does it mean? To him who has no might, he increases strength? Well, what about me? I got might. <laughs> and the Lord has been bringing me on this process of becoming humbled and seeing more and more of my weakness and more and more of my sin and helping me understand that I can't do it. You can't do it either. We all have to go through this process and and perhaps it's something of a cyclical process where we kind of go through it, this, this humility, we spiral down a spiral, but then we spiral down another spiral again. And we spiral down another spiral again as we're just getting lower and lower. And we realize more and more it's all of grace. Everything is grace. It's all God's sustaining power. And as we go lower and lower and from one perspective, we go higher and higher from another perspective in the Christian life. And we start to understand when I am weak, then I am strong. To him who has no might, he increases strength. Ah, yes, his grace is sufficient for me. There's a song that I've been listening to a lot lately, a portion of which goes like this. I thought I had done a lot on my own. And I thought I could make it through this world all alone. And I thought of myself as a mighty big man but I can't even walk without you holding my hand. The Christian life is a process of realizing this. Early on, we are like children who want to dress ourselves. I do it myself. You want help? No, Daddy, I want to do it myself. We want to tie our own shoes. We want to do everything ourselves. We feel like we can do it. But the time comes where we see that we are much more like a baby. Who's just learning to stand up and prop himself up all wobbly on the table. Who needs his father's hand lest he fall. Peter couldn't walk. Peter couldn't even walk without God holding his hand. And I can't even walk without God holding my hand. And you can't even walk without God holding your hand. But bless God, He is holding our hands. And He has promised never to leave us nor forsake us. Jesus intercedes for his own that our faith may not fail. So press on, brothers and sisters. Persevere in the faith. Rely on the grace of God in Christ. In contrast to Peter, who at this point in his story was relying on himself. 
Though none go with me, still I will follow. No turning back. No turning back. Yes. Overcomers. Yes. More than conquerors. Yes. As we sang earlier in the service, let goods and kindred go. Yes, do it. This mortal life also. Do it. This is the call of the Christian life. But did we in our own strength confide? Our striving would be losing. When I am weak, then I am strong. To him who has no might, he increases strength. God's grace and God's grace alone is sufficient for our weakness. The Christian life is literally impossible for us in our own strength. We cannot do it. So embrace the call of Christ, which is a radical call. Even as Peter had a sense of it here, it was a call that could require him to lay down his life. The call of Christ is that radical, even unto death. Embrace it. But realize, as you embrace it, that you can't even walk without Him holding your hand.